we are nominated for our first award. It is for Nonfiction Podcast of the Year. We are up against some pretty cool competition, one being the King Cast. And uh, all you got to do is go to thisishard.co.uk slash awards. They will tell you the easy guidelines, how to do your voting today. Please vote for us or another show if you want, or us. Curator will see you now. Are you looking for conversations with some of the hottest names in horror today, like Eric LaRocca, Haley Piper, Clay McLeod Chapman, Laurel Hightower, Jamie Flanagan, and Allie Wilkes, along with indie horror superstars like Brianna Morgan and Joe Coach? Then you should tune in to Terrifying Tones of Terror with your host, the curator of horror, Chance Forshe, wherever you get your podcasts. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. This is Bram Stoker and Elgin Award-nominated author Jessica McHugh. And I'm hoping you'll join me May 26th through the 28th in Hunt Valley, Maryland, where I'll be a guest of honor and the featured poet at Horror on Main. This convention is like a love letter to the horror community, with writers, artists, actors, directors, pretty much anything you could want if you love the horror genre as much as I do. So come on down to Hunt Valley Memorial Day weekend, and I'll see you at Horror on Main. See HorrorOnMain.com for details. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. So I have some pretty exciting news to share. Megan the Horror Babe is partnering up with Horror Max, and I want you guys to join me on my adventure as I watch really campy, cheesy slasher horror movies. I'll be watching tons of scary movies and reviewing them, and you guys can follow along. So if you use the code HORRORBABE, you'll get a free month on me. I promise I won't let you down. Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, we're talking to an author of, well, one of the 
strangest in the best of ways books i've ever read ill will it's absolutely fabulous man uh the author dan sean say hello dan hey yeah and i just want to let uh your uh listeners know that it it's pronounced sean but it's spelled c-h-a-o-n yeah so there's yeah like there's no way to really find the book if you just hear the name that's a good point yeah um let's just get into it man what got you into horror um i guess like maybe the the um er story or whatever is um when i was about five or six my drunk uncle took me to see uh an italian giallo called cat of nine tails um it was it at a drive-in um and it i mean i've watched it since it's really not that scary but it it really uh it really made an impression on me there's a scene where a guy gets hit by a train and the um entire screen goes red um and it, it blew my like five-year-old mind so i would say that and then i just i i just uh couldn't get enough of it like through my you know through my childhood did he introduce you to more movies um because i i actually have a an uh my godfather was an actor in the boston area and um he told me that the the greatest lessons you can learn from these to pursue any type of story is uh free commentary behind the scenes all that um and he got me into like the blob the original 50s and all those movies back from the 50s and 60s he was big into that so that that was kind of a I was introduced to that as a young age, just what it reminds me of. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't remember any, any particular commentary <laughs> um, because it was usually, you know, he would just like be stuck babysitting me and my cousins and he would just go to the drive-in park in front of, you know, whatever was playing. So I saw, you know, crazy stuff as a kid. Um, and then I think he would just like sit there and drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so no, no comments. So you have a really interesting connection with some author, some authors that are beyond horror and other genres. Um, of them that you've taught is Emma Straub, and yep, I mean it's no secret to people that listen to the show. He's one of my favorite author. Like he's one of my biggest influences. Coco to me and it's worth repeating every time is on its own tier like that's just my favorite one, one of my most inspired yeah. books ever but um i bring him up uh, because yeah go ahead he, he's just he he's in my opinion he should be in the mount rushmore of writers and i'm very curious i'm wondering if it's intimidating to have the child of an author that that has a parent that looms uh, has a shadow that looms so like wide over not just one genre but the writing industry itself right well i i wasn't intimidated because um emma's like i mean i didn't necessarily know that she was peter straub's daughter when she was my student um until somewhat later um and she's just a like an enormously nice person and very down to earth um and i mean i had a like a relationship with Peter Straub's books from like a really early age. Um, I don't know. Did you guys have um, like senior pictures 
yeah. high school, you know, you like yep. where you went. So I had my one of my senior pictures was me reading Ghost Story with a candle, um, which tells you like, what kind of kid I was. <laughs> like, not part of the popular crowd, but um, <laughs> I don't um, know why. That's awesome. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, when I met Peter, that uh, I like had to show him that picture because it felt like it was this amazing uh, journey that that you know I took um, to get to this place where I would actually meet this person who was my teenage hero, um, and you know he has been, or I'm you know he 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 died this year, but uh, he was enormously important to me and. Um, really like super kind as well. He blurbed uh, several of my books um, and uh, you know, I just, I miss him a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry that we won't have more of his books. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, he, we, we had him on last year and it was, it was the only guest that I've ever experienced where the day before I was so excited and like nervous that my boss, my boss had asked me like, what's going on? Why am I like basically shaking so much? And I'm like, I'm talking to Peter Straub later today. I can't fucking wait. Who's that? Cause he's not a reader. And I just told him. And uh, when we actually talked to him, he got real calm, real relaxed, because he's just, he's like you, or all, a, lot, a lot of other guests we've had on, just very welcoming, and uh, he does something that every single writer I look up to practices, and you've talked about this in past interviews, and that's paying it forward. I'm wondering if you can share your, and you can talk about Ray Bradbury if you want, I know you've talked about him to death, but uh, me, and, me and Brennan are big fans of him, I know a lot of listeners yeah. are. If, yeah. if you want well, to talk about him or others that have demonstrated that to you, practices that you use yourself, feel free. Right, right. Um, well, I mean, I I, I will tell tell the Ray Bradbury story because it's a it's a good story. Um, it was when I was in seventh grade. Our my English teacher, Mr. Christie, uh, gave us this assignment where we we were supposed to write to our favorite author, and it was just an exercise, you know. Um, and you know, so there like the goody goodies would like write to. Louisa May Alcott or something. And um, I wrote to Ray Bradbury. And then I went to the library and found his address um, and sent the letter to him. And I sent some stories that I had written that were, you know, basically Ray Bradbury fan fiction. And, you know, like a month and a half later, a letter came back uh, from him. And, um, you know, he gave me some feedback on the stories that I sent him and, and, and sent me a book. Um, and he also sent me, I'll show you, I've got this hanging above my, uh, my, he sent me this, uh, which maybe. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, now you can see yourself in the, in, in no, I, I can make it out. It, it's, uh, it says to Dan, Sean, right, right, right. Um, and it's 1983. Uh, and that's him on the set of, um, something wicked this way comes. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool, man! No, I mean, so it's it, it's like my uh, my inspiration above my above my writing desk here, um, and that you know, uh, I only I, I I wrote we wrote back and forth uh, pretty much all through high school, um, 
And then uh, I kind of lost touch, I guess, when I went to college, just because, I don't know, that happens. Yeah. Um, and years later, uh, I was at the L.A. Festival of Books, and he was um, he was there, but he had, like, you know, a, a, a line that was, like, 10 hours long. Um, and he was really old by that point. Um, but I was able to sneak in and, um, you know, go up to his table and, and, and shake his hand and, uh, uh, say hi. Um, I don't know whether he recognized me or not though. He was, I mean, cause he was like <laughs> signing his like 15,000th book uh, <laughs> of the day. That's amazing. So, I mean, right off the bat, if there's no one else, that's, that doesn't even matter because you've had Peter Straub blurb some of your books and, and Ray Bradbury was directly influential to you at a, a very, like the most impressionable age. Um, yeah. Yeah. So clearly they have demonstrated like to pay it forward and for those that, because we have new listeners uh, that are or newer writers that listen to. So I think the phrase paying it forward might not make complete sense to everyone just um, you know, helping others that are newer in the industry. Uh, and I've really not run into anyone that has become quote unquote, a seasoned writer. I haven't really run into anyone with an ego too big where they don't help anyone. It's usually no. people that have small short term or bursts of success. I don't see anyone with longevity that is, um, that demonstrates anything, but, kindness and kevin anderson said something really interesting he he said um basically fast friendly i forgot the third he said there's three f's to success i probably should remember the third one but it's true i mean you talk to anyone that keeps doing it day in and day out for decades and yeah that's that's exactly it um one that's i guess that's one of the things that that makes me feel close to the horror community and and to horror writers in general is just that kind of across the board they're really kind to other people um and to other writers um and that's not believe me that's not always true and especially among um you know like so-called literary writers there's a lot of those folks that are dicks i've heard <laughs> um, so <laughs> I've heard from quite a few people, man. But, but I mean, and I, I mean, I feel like that's one of the that is one of the reasons that I, um, even though I write a lot of different, you know, a lot of different genres, I I feel closest to the horror community. Isn't it interesting? Uh, in part because it's just you know, like it's nicer. It, yeah. Isn't that interesting that horrors had this stain on it? But I mean, uh, this is just my opinion that. Horror, I feel like, is the oldest, if you're going to pin it down to a genre, is the oldest genre in existence. I mean, think of the oldest pieces of fiction, like Beowulf. That That's that's horror in a nutshell. Um, and even even Shakespeare and, and, you know, the Bible, like, it's full of... Right. I mean, Book of Job, <laughs> uh, Abraham and Isaac. <laughs> and that's, that is definitely, that's a, a horror story oh it absolutely is and we're a genre that explores vulnerable states of the human condition right and i think think horror is 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 often about grief you know yeah Um, but i also think that when horror writers 
get the poison in their system out on the page. Yeah. Right. Um, therapy. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so they, I think they have, they, it's, they don't have it sort of boiling in their system. Like, you know, the, the romance folks, man, they're mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Brennan, unless you got something, I'm actually going to jump to ill will and actually got a story about this, how I got the copy. Um, so, Ill Will by Dan Sean, C-H-A-O-N. But listeners should know that, whether it be video or audio version, because it's it's on, you know, the title of the episode, <laughs> your name. Um, but I went to this convention, Scares of Care, while it was still in existence, because they stopped last year. And there is this guy named Mark Saber, and uh, he typically is... Uh, it's not a critic, but he writes reviews for uh, the hard driving. He has a book out, but anyways, he he he's the vendor that is selling like he year round he collects books just to sell at events, and, and they're like classic uh, horror books. They're old paperbacks. He has you know Matheson. I got um I forget the book, but I have this block. It's, um. Block. I had Richard Chismar, uh, William Blatty, Legion, and oh, anyways, man. he said, "Have you read Ill Will yet?" He was pushed. I'm not. I'm not saying this because you're here. I've talked about this before. He said it's the creepiest book I've ever read, and he had quite a few copies of it. And he just, I, I, I heard him because I was. I kept telling him like, "You're my drug dealer for this event, clearly, because my wife's going to kill me after I spent hundreds of dollars there. I spent a <laughs> shitload of money on a bunch of books there." And uh, yeah, he was pushing ill will like crazy. It's nice. a great book. It's absolutely creepy as fuck. But um, I just think that it's worth bringing up Mark because he he's like he's on the street, so to speak, just talking very highly of it. And he he made me aware of uh, of that book because I didn't I I wasn't aware of it before. Um, he's not wrong though. Uh, it, it's pretty it's pretty terrifying. Uh, without spoiling it. For me, it was terrifying because it there were so many nuances in it, mm-hmm. and there's so many moments where I thought I knew it was gonna happen and it didn't happen. I'm gonna leave it at that. If you're if you're interested in talking about this further, would you mind talking about the synopsis? I don't want to spoil anything. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, um, there's a, a psychologist uh, named Dustin Tillman, uh, who, when he was a child, um, his uh, father and mother and aunt and uncle were murdered. Um, and he was sort of instrumental in um, testifying against his uh, adopted older brother, Rusty, um, and getting Rusty sent to prison. Uh, that's a big part of the story. The other part of the story is, um, as an adult, uh, Dustin finds out that um, his that uh, his brother that he that he accused um, has gotten out of prison has been uh, exonerated by the Innocence Project. Um, and at the same time, he is uh, working with one of his patients who believes that a serial killer is at work in the Cleveland area, um, uh, a serial killer who likes to drown drunk college boys. 
Jack Daniels. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's sort of based on the on the smiley face killer, uh, <laughs> which is a kind of urban. I don't know whether you know this urban legend. Didn't they make a movie off of that guy, the smiley face killer? They might have. I don't know. Uh, they. I know they may. There there have been some. You know, like. Uh, crappy documentaries about it i is that the one i've man i've seen so many true crime i feel like i've i know i know is that the one where he brought his little girl to some of them no i don't think so this is like where um you know like a in a college town like a young guy uh will leave will leave a bar and then suddenly disappear and then the next thing you know they're like drowned in a river um and i mean some people think there's as many as 40 of these cases um and some people think it's it's completely fraudulent um and just an urban legend i'm i'm sort of along i'm i'm more in that boat than i am that there's like a serial killer or a cult um kidnapping frat bros (laughs) drowning them (laughs) but (laughs) it seems like you know it's i mean I like ha- I like I like having um uh victims that are not that are that are not as 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 expected. That that's one thing that I, I think I was interested in with this book. I mean I I wanted to I was a huge consumer of um of serial killer uh books, movies, all of that stuff. I mean like you, I love the Blue Rose trilogy, hmm. uh, which is, I think, you know, one of the great serial killer uh, books of all time. Absolutely. Um, but I wanted to play with that genre and sort of mess mess with it. And, you know, like I knew what the expectations were and sort of try to be true to those while at the same time, um, like messing with them and and sort of playing a, a, a little bit with with the with those tropes. It's such a fine line to bring therapist therapist in with with uh, serial killers, but I think he did it well because yeah. So I fun. mean, I really wanted to write about um, the satanic panic stuff because um, that was you know like that was my high school. Right. Uh, they they uh, shut down my D and D club, man. Uh, <laughs> because of that because of they were they afraid, because everybody was afraid D&D was satanic yeah I was so Uh-oh. pissed right <laughs> yeah you know they I don't know if you watch Stranger Things but that did you have you seen Stranger Things yeah yeah so that's uh you know the newer season how they cover that uh specifically D&D and how it's the uh, root cause of satanism it's, right Heavy metal. Um, there was there was a there was a. I, I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, so it's. I mean that that, which is where uh, ill will the 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 you know the childhood sections of ill will are set as well. Um, so it was a it was a big deal in in a lot of these small towns. I mean, people really believed that they were sacrificing babies in the graveyard and. You know, I mean, it, it, they believe some really crazy things. Were you big into video games, at least in the 90s when you were? Um, yeah, I was. Um, but I I had kind of I, 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 I never settled on a on a good gaming system. I, I was sort of more of a, more of a PC guy. Mm. Um, so like the games, I mean, I tended to 
to I tended not to like horror games. Hmm. Um, I did like the D and D based games like Baldur's Gate. Um, I, I just bring that up I because know. I know that it, that crowd seems like the same crowd that got riled up and blamed video games for cause of really anything from mass shootings to sacrificial yeah. scenarios. And that's why they created the rating system back then. Right, I think it was, right. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Mortal Kombat that, that was that final nail in the coffin. Cause that game got bloody as hell. Um, Brian, jump in buddy. I, I mean, first of all, I, we, we look back at like the satanic panic thing and it, it just sounds so ridiculous unless you lived through it. But I mean, at any given time in history, there's a group that, you know, we're going to look back on in 20 years and be like, you believe that really? Like, that's mm-hmm. just, there's yeah, a lot of that going on right, right now. We don't even need to go there. But Yeah, we're not going to talk about Trump. That's fine, <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fine. I, I actually had an ill little question. We're, you know, we're, uh, we're a blue friendly show here, sir. <laughs> Patrick brought up, you know, the the twists and turns and everything, but one thing that I thought that really worked well uh as on the whole is I can't think of a better word than formatting. Um whether it was when right. the book, you know, turns into columns or uh when you end a section on an incomplete sentence, things like that. Um just just what a way to build tension. And I wonder if you could talk about, you know, incorporating formatting as a storytelling device. Yeah. I mean, part of, you know, part of it is that I do all, like I write a lot in longhand. And um, at one point I was, I I, I just had divided the, a, a sheet of paper because I wanted to, I wanted to do like, I wanted to compare like first, second and third person to decide which one I wanted. And as I was doing it, they, they sort of morphed and I kept thinking, I really want to have these side by side. Um, and I was also really inspired by, by poetry and by like the, the way that the poet poetry can, can use the, a page and can use like the space of a page. And I wanted to have like this, this kind of sense of, of, of blank spaces in the text um, because that felt like, it was true to the character who mm-hmm. like constant is, is constantly sort of aphasic and also true to the sort of theme of the book, which is about, you know, kind of like the unknowability of other people um, and the way that truth is really malleable um, and memory is really malleable. So um, that was, I guess that was where I, where I was playing with it, but um, I love doing that doing that stuff with the columns and um, messing around with, with the pages. Um, there was a lot of stuff that um, in the end, they didn't let me do. Um, because it was just impossible to, to um, especially for Kendall. I mean, this all, this book already breaks people's Kendall's uh, because <laughs> of the formatting. Um, but there was like, there were like things where I had sentences that were um, upside down on the page. And they're like, we're not doing that. <laughs> um so yeah i mean I, I i i did get a little out of control with it and they and they they reined me in a bit uh yeah. did your i was just wondering if your book came out before house of leaves i just want to know if you did the... oh no no um house of leaves came out in like 2000 or 2001 okay. and this okay. came out in 2017 but yeah house of leaves is i i is an amazing book and um i definitely inspired 
by that. By and Paul, them, by, by what Paul Bear's doing. Club by Paul Tremblay just came out this year, and that that does a lot of interesting yeah. things with format too. So those are the three books I think of when we're talking about format. That's all I want to say. Sorry for uh, interjecting there, Brennan. No, no worries. I was just gonna. I, I I love the uh the point you made about poetry because I did that was something I didn't even consider. But like the um the spaces between you know where. I was mostly thinking about where, uh, you know, a, a, a chapter break or a section break would kind of almost trail off. Um, right. But, you know, now I'm thinking of the parts where there would be spaces just kind of in between these, not in between paragraphs, but almost in between sentences. Right. Um, and it reminds me of that whole where, you know, in poetry where, where they'll indent a line so that you almost kind of add a little bit of extra rest there, a little extra pause. Right. Right. Uh, oh, that's, that's, that's really cool. Sorry. I'm not asking a question. I'm just thinking out loud now. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that now I'm kind of glad that I read the, um, the, the paperback version to kind of get that full experience. Um, yeah, Patrick, take it away. I'm, I'm, I'm like turning now. <laughs> well, I'd like to actually just say one thing from Michael J. Seilinger. Um, he said, tell Dan, I said, hi, he's awesome. And I bet it'll be a baller episode. Is <laughs> a uh, okay. Yeah. That, anybody, so anybody home is, is, was such a, was such a great read. That was one of my favorite uh, books of this, of this, of this year. Uh, and uh, I passed it around. My both my both my sons read it. And, uh, we all really really dug it. So yeah, uh, you know he he's the one that brought you up on his episode. And I'm like, holy shit! I should see if Dan even replies. And I'm I'm honestly surprised when still we've d- done this for almost three years now. I'm still surprised when some people reply. I'm like, holy shit! I just yeah. had to tweet him. I mean, I love I lo- I love that about Twitter. I've met I've met so many. Uh, great people on Twitter. Uh, I met Nathan Ballenrude on on Twitter. I met yeah. uh, David Demchuk on Twitter. Mm. Um, oh, Gabino Iglesias on Twitter. Yeah, so really, really cool. Uh, Gabino is really funny in the sense where it's just like not in a not in a clown funny way, but like he he's funny in the sense where like he's. He's such a big bastard. And I saw, I, I met him at a convention and I hugged him. And I felt like if he wanted to, right then and there, he could have killed me from a hug. But he's such a friendly guy and he hustles his ass off. Oh, I know. And, yeah. Uh, but it, that's it. But Devil Take You Home is a damn good book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got, it, I mean, it's got some, some real gore in it, which, which makes me happy. The brothers bolt. in it? <laughs> the oh brothers say bolt cutters. <laughs> Yeah, I was just gonna say the brothers in, in, in Michael's book just oof, that did it for me when, when the cops show up. And I'm not gonna say anymore, but if you want to find out what one does to the other, it's real. Uh, what is it? Uh, Abel and Cain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I actually want to jump to your latest book, Sleepwalk, and I again don't want to. We we tend to give our guests a chance to say the synopsis. Oh, sure. We don't ruin yeah. anything. Um, so away. this, so yeah, Sleepwalk takes place in sort of a, an alternate, not not really science fictiony, but slightly but slightly different America that's a little more collapsing than it is right now. Um, and there's a guy who is a fixer for for a, a corporation called Value Standard Enterprises. He does things like um, 
you know, kill podcasters who have, <laughs> have, have wronged the corporation or, you know, clean up after a massacre or, you know, he does some minor human trafficking. Um, but anyway, he finds, he, he gets this call on one of his burner phones um, from this girl who claims to be his uh, biological mm -hmm. daughter. Um, and that sets in motion a chain of events that um, sort of, uh, throws his life into chaos. Um, and it's a road novel. It, it's like, he's always on the road. He's, he travels around in a camper with his, with his pit bull. Um, and it's, I, I mean, it's also, I think, you know, sort of comic in the way that, you know, Hunter S. Thompson is comic. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of druggy, kind of weird. Um, and, I guess maybe horror adjacent, but not, but I wouldn't, I would call it more noir than horror. Yeah, that for sure. Um, I'm, I'm curious as far as reception to this has, has this been in your eyes more well received than ill will or any of the others in the past or? No, it hasn't. Um, I mean, it was, I mean, it got good reviews. Um, I don't think it's, it did not sell as well as ill will, but that may, I mean, it's hard to tell what's going on with the book industry right now. Mm, yeah. um, you know, like where do people find out about books? Um, <laughs> podcasts, uh, book talk, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, that being said, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's got a film option on it um, and maybe that'll help. Uh, we'll see. Um, I mean, I've, I have not had, had the best of luck with with film stuff, unfortunately. Um, Ill Will was supposed to be a a series, uh, a limited series on HBO, and it just uh, it got killed in May, along with you know Batgirl and like ten tons mm. of other stuff. Yeah, um, during that you know weird thing that happened with AT and T. Um, so now it's now it's back to the drawing board with that um, and. You know, we'll see what happens with the with the sleepwalk stuff. So, the more I find out about options and whatnot, the the more I think like uh, I want to. I, I would love to be in the film world one day, but that shit seems more uncertain than the publishing world. It is. It is. I mean, I um, I'm happy when people option my my stuff, but I've 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 stopped being hopeful because mm. um, my dreams have been crushed one too many times. Yeah, like we talked to Peter, and I'm like, "How hasn't Coco just that book?" I know. Book. <laughs> I mean, I I think Julia and um, Ghost Story are the only movies, right? Mm. He wasn't a fan of the. <laughs> he wasn't a fan of Ghost Story. He's nice well, about I'm, how I'm he not says either, it. Really, I mean, I love I love the cast. I mean, that it's cool to see all those old old farts in there. But <gasps> um, that's my dog. Sorry about that. Oh, that's fine. Dogs, cats, really and babies cool, come but, on the um, show. Every yeah, not, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, th they didn't even do the talisman. What? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's supposed to come out with Netflix. I don't think that. Well, we'll can. see. <laughs> even so, it it he, he can't see it now. It's fucked up. It's bullshit. I know. Yeah. I, know. I mean, bullshit. there's so many of those books. I mean they are cerebral and they are like narratively complicated, but they seem like they'd be perfect for, you know, like the way that we view stuff now, which is more in, in serial form. Yeah. I mean, I can see, I mean, Coco should be 
a limited series. Serialized, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't see what would stop anybody except you could do three or four seasons with that book alone. Oh, yeah. If it was like 10, one hour. um, He said that his son was, I think his son was dealing with it. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but his son's an agent, I believe. And he said it was in his hands trying to sell it at the moment. Um, And then you got. I'm jumping around here, but Chuck Palahniuk, how hasn't he? I just don't understand it. Maybe I'm naive, but like I, I don't. I know he's gotten fucked from friends before. I've he didn't tell it to us, but we heard that. I've heard that in other interviews where he's gotten screwed out of deals from an agent or someone handling one of his movies. But like Fight Club is such a massive movie, you'd figure that they would go to Chuck for other. Well, it wasn't. I think there was one other one. Was they did choke. choke. Yeah, choke, and it, had, and, like, and it didn't get the same wide appeal. Yeah, but it was it was good. Yeah, I would I would think at least haunted would get something. Oh, but you know, like um, haunted got ripped off by one of the um, Final Destination movies. Did it? There's a yeah, the actual the the the, the swimming pool thing. Well, they actually use that. <laughs> I, I never saw it. Just all got of them. <laughs> it's it's like Final Destination four yeah. or three. That's why I, I I saw I love the first one and the second and third I think were ones that I was a fan of too. I, I don't remember watching any more past that though. I've seen all of them. I'm sad to say. But no, I'm not <laughs> sad to say. I'm proud to say. <laughs> I like the I I mean, in terms of just like pure um, you know. Rube Goldberg death sequences. Yeah, you can't beat those. I mean the the um, the staging of that of of that scene in the in in Final Destination two the um, the interstate wreck. That's I could watch that all day. You talking about with the logs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. I saw one time a truck like that, and I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> um. You know, Jeffrey. I'd get off the interstate if I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey, uh, oh god, is it Riddick? Is that his last name? The direct, the screenwriter. Uh, him and Devin Soya, the main actor, they're on Twitter quite a bit too. That that's a crazy thing. Like, you know, I, like Joe Lansdale. I've been a fan of him before. I knew his name behind stuff like the animated Batman series or, or some other things that he was behind. Um, and there's been plenty of cases with people on here going back to talking about how. I guess uh interconnected Twitter is and it's insane at least to me cuz I grew up in the 90s and I'm friends with some of the people that were writing back then that I was a fan of and it's a really weird concept I know, I, know. I was I'm in New Jersey and do you, do you happen to be a fan or did you ever watch Rocco's Modern Life Yeah sure so I'm at this convention I walk by this booth and it's like this big Cartoon Network and has all this different different cartoons there, and one of them was uh, Rocco. No, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. It was uh, Courage the Dog. I mixed yeah, it up. Courage, Courage the Cowardly dog. dog. And he said that he, he was part of the team that designed the backgrounds for it. I'm like, that show was one of the first uh, where it was conscious of horror being right. Uh, just poured into my brain because that show is so fucked up but i love it i know it my my kids were um were little when that when that was out 
Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is this seems fine. And then I sat there and watched it with him. I'm like, holy shit, this is <laughs> this is terrifying. You got a talking dog with two old people in the middle of nowhere that are dealing with aliens and a bunch of other things. But um, <clears throat> it, it was just kind of neat talking to this guy that was part of that team. And I, I don't know, man. Like I, I see people talking shit about Twitter saying it's a hellscape and. First thing that pops in my mind is, well, why don't you get away from it if it's such a nightmare? Because you meet a lot of great people on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, I, I, I have have it curated in a way that I don't really see the like a lot of the the really negative stuff. I mm-hmm. just stay away from like the that kind of like hard ass political screaming. Um, yeah. And you know, I've, I've I've met just a ton of people that I I really admire and and are really cool to hang out with um talk to um you know jeffrey ford's on there i i I talk to him sometimes john langan um uh paul tremblay's on on there i haven't seen him in a while but he's on there yeah um oh talking about options man talk about hitting it big with them are you excited about that i'm really curious um i'm so pleased for him i'm excited because Paul grew up in a town I'm from Massachusetts and he grew up in a town that's about 30 minutes from me and it's where one of my best friends is from Stoughton Massachusetts I think it's very public where he's from I mean Mm -hmm. you know Stoughton Massachusetts and one of the parks uh that he based uh devil um devil's rock disappearance disappearance of the devil's Devil's Rock. rock that's it is the park that me and my friend used to hang out when I lived up there. I'm like, that's weird. Cause like he's getting blurred by King or quote. Is he blurred by King actually? I'm questioning. Uh, King said stuff about his book. That's a blurb. Look at yeah. <laughs> well, anyways. Yeah. Um, I'm excited because uh, he's, he's like a blue, a regular blue collar guy. And that's right. all he ever was raised right. around. And uh, it makes me hopeful and excited. If it's gonna be a good movie, I don't know, man. It's got a good. It, I like Dave Bautista, but so uh, do I. I, I yeah. yeah, it looks. I mean, I. Um. I think there was some sort of like some like issue with Paul not getting as much credit as as maybe he should have. Well, what oh. I saw is they they released the poster and. Yeah. You know, screen screenplay by M. Night Shyamalan and this person and that person. There's no credit for you know based right, upon the novel, right. and you know, I I'm wondering just because of the director's history, if uh, maybe maybe that might work in his favor because if uh, Shyamalan rewrote the screenplay and put some weird ass twist ending that nobody likes on it, then you know at least Paul doesn't get he doesn't that's go down with the shit. That's what I'm kind of worried about. <laughs> yeah, um, but. We'll see. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm definitely, I'm definitely first in line to see the movie. Certainly. You know, Walt Disney's the studios is most famous for that. I mean, they got all their old shits from writers that wrote those stories. Some case decades before, some case a century or two before they were adapted, and there's no credit for them that that I'm aware right. of. Right. I mean, I, I don't. I don't understand that. I'm not saying from a legal point of view. I just don't. Why wouldn't you celebrate that? Like, hey, this is where, this is where it started from. How would he feel if someone was like, hey, I got a story about this mouse on a steamboat 
don't know right. who wrote, you know? Yeah. Um, so again, I'm jumping all over the place, but when you started, when you started becoming a, a published author to now where you're selling books through, uh, Ballantine books is one of them. I forget who, uh, sleepwalk, what sleepwalk is Holt. Everything. I mean, everything else was Ballantine up until uh, this is my first book with Holt. Ballantine so, for, for me, like on the top of like, who I'd like to publish with one day, like that's definitely one. Valentine is definitely one of them. How's that? Even now, how's that feel to say that you're you got books for Valentine? Because that's a big, that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, um, it's. I mean, I've been really, I've been, I'm, I've been super lucky in you know just that um, my books are kind of all over the place. I've got three short story collections. I've got four novels that are all kind of different genres. Um, and, um, you know, they stuck with me. Um, and, you know, uh, I've been able to, I've been able to sort of publish these weird books um, and get a little bit of money for it, which is super nice. Now I did see that one of your first short stories, short story collections was later, republished by Valentine. I f- forgive me. That's right. My first title. one, my first book was pub- was was originally published by a university press by Northwestern University Press. That was that was the book the um that was the only book I published in the nineties. Um, and then Valentine republished it in um after um after my uh my first book with them did really well. Okay, I got two questions about that. I'll break it down though. For the first one, why is there a specific reason why it's the only one in the '90s? Was that a period where you were consciously saying maybe to yourself, like, "I gotta hone my craft," or was there? Yeah, well, I was still. Sorry, my dog is like attacking. (laughs) That's fine. It's all good. (laughs) I love dogs here. He's a cutie. She doesn't. She doesn't understand why I'm talking to the screen. She thinks I'm talking to her. Um, but uh. No, not really. I was just, it was just, I was young. Um, I had kids really young. Um, so I, I, I had a lot, I had a lot of stuff going on in, 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 in that decade. Makes um, sense. and you know, I was in, in the process of, of, you know, trying to figure out how to write novels, um, which was another challenge. Um, so yeah, I mean, then, you know, the once, once I sort of, got the hang of things um the book started coming a little little faster um but yeah the first one was really slow did you have or do you still have any trunk novels because um there was something interesting that i hadn't heard up until we had kevin j anderson on two or three weeks ago and he was saying that dean Kuntz was pretty much one of his earlier mentors and that Kuntz said the first million words are your practice words. It may, made me feel better because I wrote about seven or eight, I lost count, seven or eight novels that like five of them I knew going in was like, I, I get, I'm just practicing. I want to find my voice and right, I don't, I right. don't want this shit published and it's not, not anything I want to revisit probably. But, uh, but he also said, if you get paid for those million words, that's a bonus. Do you have any, long form fiction that that you won't ever show to anyone um 
Yeah, I mean, I have, I, I, I do, but I mean, I, I still, I still take pieces from it and use it in other stuff. So, hmm. I mean, I never, I never feel like anything's wasted or that, you know, I'm just, you know, like this is horrible and there's not, there's no use for it. Um, I feel like, you know, anything you write, you, you're, you're learning from, but also you're, you're just generating potential material for later down the line. Hmm. One thing that um, I think I heard it from Josh Mallerman that I always kind of attached to was the idea that if you, you know, that almost like there's no such thing as a novel to be totally trunked, totally scrapped and forgotten about. Because if you sat down with the aim to write a story, at one point you were excited to tell that story. Right. Uh, and I mean, it's in other got words, life you in it. You just wouldn't spend that much time. Exactly. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, and, I mean, there are certain things that I, I, you know, that I, for whatever reason, personal or not, I tend to go back to. Um, and, you know, like, I have to find the right container for, for those things. Um, and a lot of times for me, it's, you know, it's just like, um, I've got these, these things that I want to write about, and I just have to figure out the right, like, plot and framework that, that makes them come alive. You know, and and trying out different things is is I think part of the fun. I really want to like write books in all genres, um, just because it's interesting. Not yeah. that I would publish books in all all genres. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we I, I brought this up before we started recording, but um, I'm curious. Do you? I said that you kind of remind me of your bibliography reminds me of. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk in the sense where it's um, I, I can't really say it's I mean lots of authors mix genres with their books but right but the way you do it it's not even the voice it, I feel like it's kind of the spirits of your books they're just they're dark they're weird they're bizarre and I only mean that in the nicest of ways because that's that's what we're all drawn right. to I mean that's yeah that, that's that's what I like yeah uh, and I mean. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, seventies and eighties kid. I grew up sitting in front of a TV. So, I mean, that's like, my mind is full of the genres. I mean, I know they're, and I feel like they all kind of come on, come on stage at one point or another. I don't know whether you remember this. There was a, there was a scene in, um, uh, that movie natural born killers. Do you remember this? Do you remember that movie? Woody Harrelson, uh, Harrelson. Yeah, Woody Harrelson and yeah, uh, Trent Reznor did the soundtrack. I got that. Yeah, CD yeah. still. <laughs> but they, they had this scene where um, like it was, it was a horror scene, but it was done as like a television sitcom with Rodney Dangerfield. And it was like, um, he was like this incestuous dad. And, and it was, it was like so repulsive, but it was, it was, like played out like it was a like a half hour like uh one camera sitcom yeah and it, it, i mean to me like that was just really um inspiring because because of the way that it took these these very fixed genres and just twisted them and messed with them in ways that like really tickled me yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that that was um that's another good example of someone that does a little bit of everything and definitely touches a lot of dark shadows, which is a uh, Woody Harrelson. Oh uh, God. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen the the cruise ship movie yet, but I'm I'm looking forward to a Triangle of Sadness or something like that. I haven't seen that trailer. No, oh, it's, it, it's like, um, I think it it won something at Con, um, and it's like this like he's a he's a captain of a of like a cruise ship, and there's all these rich people, and um, I think it's just it's sort of like a a like kind of a dark satire of wealthy people, which seems to be a thing these days. Um, I don't know why, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but it, but it's, but it seems like it's got at least a touch of horror in that there's like apparently a really long involved uh, vomiting and shitting scene. Horrifying. <laughs> Uh yeah, I, I I am interested to see that because anything that guy's in, I watch. Yeah, he, he's interesting, and his father's got a really, um, you know, I don't have to go through it, but his dad's got a really interesting past too, being a suspect of JFK's assassination. Right, <laughs> right. Not everyone can have that on their resume. Right, certainly not. So, right. Dan, would you ever consider writing a straightforward horror novel, or do you think that other genres would find their way into it? Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what that, what that would necessarily mean. I mean, the book that I'm working on right now um, is set in a, a traveling carnival in 1915, and it's pulling in elements of, you know, like... Um, like Freaks, the movie, and Nightmare Alley. Um, and But it's also pulling in elements of, like, Westerns and stuff mm. uh, because it takes place in the, you know, like, sort of South Dakota, um, Nebraska region. Um, so, I mean, I feel like um, I'm leery of, of sort of saying something is, is, a, is, is a pure, is, like, this is a pure horror or this is pure romantic comedy or whatever. I feel like at this point in, in our evolution, uh, it's, it's all kind of getting the, the, those, those, those things are getting muddier and muddier. Yeah. So I guess, no, maybe I wouldn't, but maybe I will. <laughs> That's fair. You know, I, I ask a silly question like that and then I go to sit down and write my own work and I'm like, well, you know, fuck the genre. I, I, I want to write good characters that are doing interesting things. Right, and, right. and if it means that, you know, the story I'm writing that's taken place in the late 1800s is a Western, then I guess it's a Western. If it deals with ghosts, then I guess it's a haunted house book and, you know, whatever you want to label it right. as long as the story's there. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm reading a book now that I, I you guys should check out. Um, it's, um, it's a, it's coming out next year. It's called The Militia House by uh, John Milosh. Have you guys heard of this? No. no. Um, so it's, um, it's during the Afghanistan War, um, and it's like 2010 or so, and these, um, these guys. Go to a um, this this old like Soviet militia house that's that's been abandoned, and um, there's something just really wrong, and that that kind of like they 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 discover there, and then it it continues to follow them, and it's so it's it's a it's it's definitely like a war novel, 
Um, it's about soldiers, but it's also but it's also using all these horror tropes in a really great way. Um, so you should. I mean, when it comes out, you should check it out. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. That's a my sounds alley. great. Yeah. yeah, I love war war stories, and they're perfect for horror too. Just the elements that you got there, like uh, devotion is a new Korean war movie, and I saw that uh, Thanksgiving weekend with my father oh, yeah. and brother in law. Um, who my brother-in-law was actually uh, overseas in Iraq. Um, so I'm sure that he can relate to whatever the hell is going on in the militia house. But the Devotion is a movie based on a book um, about two. It's a true story based on, I don't know if it's the very first black f- pilot fighter, but uh, they're two Navy airmen. And how do, how do I say this without ruining anything? Basically, what happens is it shows their connection throughout um, the war. Mm-hmm. And in 1950, for those that don't know, uh, there was this terrible event with the Marines, First Division at Hagaru Bay called uh, Chosing Reservoir. And the Americans got their ass kicked. It's it's pretty crazy that anyone survived that Chinese just the Chinese in North Korea surrounded them. Um, it was pretty much a massacre. And then the only way that we kind of got them back was our, our uh, air support. And mm-hmm. that's where they come in. Um, it's really interesting because I'm a I'm just I've been diving into the Korean War movies uh, and books and whatnot, and I haven't seen this exact the air support side of things. Um, it's pretty sad at times. It's, it, it just shows the the horrificness and the scary. Like I'd be shitting my pants, man. Mm-hmm. There's a crash scene in it, and there's just this empty snowy field. And you hear bugles because the Koreans and North Korea, the North Koreans and the Chinese didn't have like, you know, radios or they weren't up to date technologically like we were. So they had bugles and symbols to uh, tell people when to go or whatnot for formations. I, I, I'd be terrified. You, yeah. you got this, you got this wooded area in this strange jungle and you just have literally thousands. There's a scene, and I'll stop talking about it after this. There's this one scene where there's just uh, muzzle flashes of guns, and you see nothing but a quiet, wooded, snowy area, and then it's just these thousands of Chinese troops coming at you, and I honestly, I don't know what I would do in that scenario. I feel like I'd run, but if you run, you might die. You know, you only got so much room. Right. Bolts, Bolts, Bullets travel faster than you can run. <laughs> right. Um, would you ever would you ever pursue that? A war a war story? I I mean, I don't know. Um I feel like um with this with this book that I'm working on now, um that's set in nineteen fifteen, I'm already kind of drowning in in research. Um and I, I would feel like really um kind of daunted by like having to like just by the amount of reading that i'd have to do to to feel even remotely qualified to write about a, you know being in a war mm. um and this guy the the guy that that wrote that wrote this uh militia house is uh is actually a former soldier uh, oh, okay so, 
I mean, I, I feel like that's one of the things that's interesting to me is I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, um, you know, like these guys who have had that experience being able to, you know, write about it in a, in a way um, that feels like authentic to me. Brennan, now's a good time to bring up John Lynch. <laughs> Why don't you bring up John Lynch in his book? Because it's a war book? Yeah, and he's also oh. a veteran. Yeah, yeah, all right. So um, You know it better than me. That's why I'm saying why don't you just real quick I, I, Yeah, it. I mean, I, I'll quick quick plug for uh, John Lynch. He wrote a book called The, uh, the Warrior Retreat, um, and it is – uh, I would say at its at, at its heart, it's a slasher, but it's also um, you know the first third to half of the book takes place overseas in either Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, and, oh, that sounds interesting. Well, his you know it, it's it's very well written because he was a Marine uh, overseas and he does a really great job of bringing in authenticity <laughs> to it, but mm-hmm. also making it extremely accessible, you know, not drowning the reader in like in right. jargon in you know, right. weapon terms and stuff like that. Um, I really enjoyed it. We're going to be talking to him in a couple months. Um, yeah. Actually, you know, what? I want, I want to semi change the subject because your, your point on the amount of research that would go into writing a war novel. Um, when we were talking about sleepwalk briefly, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, you said it's a road trip novel and it definitely has that kind of fear and loathing aspect to mm-hmm. it. But I wonder, because it's the setting, let's say, is so sprawling because it takes place in over such a large area. Was there a lot of research on your part? Have you done a lot of traveling? Tell us about yeah, I've traveled that. around the U.S. a lot. I've been to I've been to all all 48. I have not yet been to Alaska or, or Hawaii. Um, but I've been to all 48 states, and so I'm I'm bringing some of that. Um, and I also use Google Maps a lot. Um, and I discovered some some great like little images that were on Google Maps um, that I used in the book. Because um, I would just like if if I if I was like thinking about a stretch of interstate, I would just get on Google Maps and drive, you know, or you know, like push my cursor down that down that stretch until I saw something that looked like somewhat interesting or fun um and then i'd like research that really quick um so yeah but i but i honestly i have done a huge amount of driving in my life um it's i mean it's something i like i i I like prefer to to drive somewhere than to um than to fly most of the time if i can and you know it's a like the the highways are 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 where you see like the real America. <laughs> yeah, that's, and I think that that comes through that whole idea of it's you know, yeah, it's the cities and and all that, but it's like the 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 heartland, the Midwest, the you know the backroads. Um, my my wife is originally from Portland, Oregon, and we live in Massachusetts now, and when she moved here she just got in the car and drove here in two and a half days and it was it's funny because she'll talk about it now and simultaneously describe it as you know like the (laughs) just this this mad rush of just wanting the trip to be over and oh my god there's another cow and there's so much damn corn and 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 whatnot but 
an experience that you're that everybody should have. Just oh yeah, seeing, driving across know, the country, absolutely. Exactly. And I mean, like looking at her perspective where, you know, she she grew up in some small towns, but she lived mostly right outside the city in Portland, very, you know, suburban um, for most of her life, but also that big city setting. Um, and to just be in the middle of, say, Nebraska and, you know, and, and even to experience that, you know, hey, there's a pull off for gas. We don't need gas, but we better get some just, right, to, right. just because um, it's something that everybody should experience. Just how different uh, the whole this land is your land aspect of it all. Just how different, you know, certain areas of one country can be. Yeah. Yeah. I was just in um, like Death Valley, Coachella area um, this like in September um, and there was we I mean we couldn't really do anything I mean I was planning to do, like go to Joshua Tree and stuff but it was like 127 degrees literally um so wow. all we did was like drive around in the air-conditioned car but it was so <laughs> awesome we yeah. had so many good experiences I mean you could you could get out of the car and look at stuff for like 10 minutes and then you were like I, I can't, can't handle it um it was uh I've never I've never had like any kind of experience with that kind of heat either. Um, but just like that area of the world, um, so amazing and so cool. Um, and so haunted. I mean, we, I went, we went to the Salton sea. Do you know, you know about this? Like, um, it's a former resort where the, where the water has just become so toxic and salinated that nothing can, can, can live in it. Um, and so it's like this, like a kind of abandoned, like 1950s, 60s resort community, um, mm -hmm. that's just like sitting out there. Um, and it's super haunted looking, um, super like, um, 90s skateboard punk, um, haunted as well. <laughs> like all these tagged buildings and, you know, um, abandoned tennis shoes and shit. <laughs> It's really, it's really cool. I don't think I've ever heard '90s skateboard punk haunted as an aesthetic before, but but but, <laughs> but you know what I'm time, talking about, right? I know yeah. exactly what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> I haven't either. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to describe it. I'll well, I mean, there, because I mean, Cleveland has these has has a lot of these places where you know um, they were abandoned. There was there was an old mall here that was abandoned for a long time before they knocked it down. And, you know, it's like skate kids and, and, and stuff took it over and then they got too old and nobody, and, and then it was, nobody took it over. <laughs> after them. They're like, fuck this. I mean, I think after, after like, after the skate kids grew up, pe kids just didn't go outside anymore. They weren't allowed. <laughs> to. You know what? I, I, I think it's true. I mean, they don't like kids don't run wild like they used to. Yeah. Stay at home in their rooms. I used to be a skate kid until I was about 12 when uh, me and my friend built because we were big into Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk right. Pro Skater was, you know, what got us into it. And we built this one ramp going down and then up. And I've always been, I know you can't probably tell right now when I'm sitting down, I'm I'm pretty big. I'm 6'3 and I'm like 240 pounds. I've always been big for my age. Mm -hmm. uh, now, now I'm growing water instead of, uh, you know, vertically, but, <laughs> <laughs> but when 
when we made we made another ramp to get up uh i forget what it's called it's like this box with uh metal on the edges so you can grind on it with your skateboard to cheat because we couldn't really ollie up to it we made a ramp except we forgot to put a support beam underneath and my weight collapsed the ramp and i ended up falling on the metal and slicing uh right where on the side of my knee is my left leg and it wasn't bleeding i look at it and my skin could flap oh yeah yeah. over itself and i i said to my friend who at the time was kind of i looked up to him like a big brother and and i said that doesn't look good <laughs> he goes you'll be fine so long story short his mom said you got to go home i was three houses down and my mom brought me to the hospital and the doctor said if you had gotten here two three hours later it would have been your skin would have been too hard to to stitch back on and that would have been a problem so my <laughs> <laughs> I needed skin, like a little bit of skin graft to get that. Like, there's no hair that grows there. Um, so I stopped skating. I'm like, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> One injury and you give up. You know, the, right. I think you got a point, though, Dan. I mean, it's funny. We were, I was just having this conversation earlier today about how uh, when I was in uh, fourth or fifth grade, I would walk to school and walk home every morning. And it was maybe like a mile from my house to the um, to the school. And uh, I work in, in elementary schools now and you cannot walk to school. Well, I mean, you can I guess you could hypothetically walk to school, but you can't walk home. They won't let you just walk out the door and start walking. You have to get put in a car or you have to get dismissed to a, you know, signed out, dismissed to a parent or put on a bus. Like that's, those are your only options and every kid is accounted right. for. Right. So, I mean, I think that there is a little bit of that, oh, you know, damn kids and their devices. But I also think that society has changed in order to um, right. keep kids from running quite as wild. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I mean, I think that that is one thing that I was that I was really writing about in Ill Will is is like, I mean, both contemporary. I mean, there's both contemporary kids who are, you know, like, like dabbling in heroin and going to, you know, drug dens. And then there's like the kids of the eighties that are, you know, getting drunk and um, praying to Satan in a graveyard uh, while dancing to blue oyster cult, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope, I, I hope kids still get to have that experience. It's important. Um, but, you know, I think it also depends on, um, on what your social class is, I, I, I suspect that um, that poor kids probably aren't as monitored as as the as the middle class kids are. Um, I don't think you're right. You know, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm not like I'm okay with the city. Like I love Boston; that's where we grew up. Me and Brennan, like that's our capital. But I like it, but I would never want to live there because going to what you just said, Dan, it's important to grow up running wild and whatnot. I, I was in an area, not now anymore, because there's so many fucking neighborhoods built where the woods were. But when I was growing up, there was woods area, there was wooded area everywhere. And I I feel like it's really important to connect with nature, too. Yeah. Not to to dive too deep into it. But, I mean, you just kind of to escape all the technology. And it's so weird. I'm only 33. So it's weird to put it in this 
kind of term, but when I was a kid um, and the internet was not, there was no social media. It's so fucking weird to say that because that was only what, 20 years ago. Right. I think that was better to grow up around that. Yeah. Because like my, my son is three now and I never thought I'd give him a tablet but he has one because you just get so goddamn tired after working your full-time job. And, and right, right. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, it's just so weird. But we get, we make sure he's outside all the time too. But it's it's just a lot different. It's so but strange. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but you know, like, I mean, like Brennan said, I mean, you can't let a grade school kid just, you know, go out the door and, you know, come back at dinner time. That right. doesn't happen anymore. And I feel like they're they're missing something really super important. Um, but well, okay. Speaking of nature, speaking of nature, here's a here's here's a here's another horror book recommendation for you. Um, uh, have you guys heard of the Dark Between the Trees um, by Fiona Barrett? I think her name is Barrett. Yeah, I feel like I have, but. It's like no, it's like it's like British folk horror. It's really awesome. Um, it's like, and it cuts back and forth between this group of soldiers in the, like the sixteen or seventeen hundreds oh. that are are retreating, and they're going through this 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 creepy haunted woods. Um, and then there are these women in like contemporary times that are researching the disappearance of these soldiers. And they are also going through the woods and it cuts back and forth between the, between the two things. And they're both kind of having like very similar experiences. And it's really good at like getting this sort of dread, like, Oh shit, you, you should not continue on this journey ladies. Um, <laughs> because you're having the same experiences the 16th century soldiers are and their experience was, did not end well. <laughs> um, but I love I love the that kind of folk horror stuff, and it's it's kind of it's kind of a little out of fashion, I guess. But um, that's a good example of it that came out this year. What's the book called again? It's called The Dark Between the Trees. Between the trees. I'm looking it up right now. Fiona. Fiona Barnett. 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 Maybe. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll look into that. That sounds yeah, interesting. Yeah, check that one out. Um, that's a cool cover. Oh, shit. That's a cool cover. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I have seen that. Yeah. Um, um, and then the <laughs> other one, the other one I was thinking about that, that, that um, I wanted to mention was the um, Clay McLeod Chapman's yes. uh, Ghost. Yeah. Have, you guys, have, you, have you guys had him on the uh, show? Yeah, yeah, we had Clay um, on a few months ago. We love Clay. Oh, uh, he's so great. He's a really good writer. He's just—I don't know if you've seen his TikTok, but he's always just pumped up, running through bookstores, being like, "And then we got you, and you, and you, and you." And no, I, no, I, I don't. I don't use. I mean, I only watch TikTok for like um, the you know, like the the stunts and the jokes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's he's very he, he's very uh, just. He, it's hard not to like him. I put yeah. That. Yeah, he's got a manic energy about him, but a very positive manic energy. 
Yeah, I I I followed his his him since his, that first story collection that I really really liked. I've been reading his collection ever the remaking. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, that one that one goes back and forth too, which I really enjoyed with a yeah. past and present. Um, Brendan, you want to go to currently reading? Sure. So, uh, Dan, what are you currently reading? What am I currently reading? I'm rereading um, True Grit and oh, yeah. um, Blood Meridian because um, I'm trying <laughs> to get. I'm just trying to get like, um, and they, and those are both both take place earlier than 19 to 15. But I'm just trying to get into the mindset and get into sort of like the language because um, I'm trying not to. You know, I'm with this new book. I'm trying not to screw up and make people say, you know word or whatever um <laughs> no I, I usually don't plug this because i don't know when it's being released but we've you're talking about westerns and you write some weird shit and i love weird shit yeah um i, I just edited my first anthology like with the first i i've edited stuff before when i beta read that's what i do otherwise there's no point in my opinion like i i do right. deep dives on love history so right. i tackle that but um i i edited my first anthology with uh death Said press and we got lansdale i'm going back uh edward lee and it's uh anthology of weird westerns um oh wow i, I need to read this yeah i would love that Dan, the other thing, I actually, I can't vouch for this because I haven't <coughs> dive, dove into it yet, but this is kind of a cool, like, catch-all for, for that. Well, oh, a nice. before that period. Oh, but, thank you. Let me, let me, it's Candy Molten? Yeah. That sounds like for a made-up like, name. It does, but uh, it, it's something like 12, 15 bucks. I thumbed through it a little bit, and it's re it, it really just seems like it's got everything. Like, there's even a guide, like, here's what everything cost in this year. Right, right. That's really super useful. I've been like um trying to get them around by train and yeah, and it's complicated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Travel <laughs> by train, but the trains weren't everywhere, goddamn. <laughs> true grit. You mentioned true grit. I haven't read it yet. It's actually a book where I I could buy it online. I want to go to like use a used bookstore. I always look for it, and I would like to find an older copy. Um, that's probably a stupid way to go about it, but I would love to. First yeah. Edition. Oh, yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> First edition. That's beautiful. I mean, my copy is from when the Jeff Jeff Bridges movie came out, but it's right. Right. <laughs> now, True Grit is just. I'm no Western expert. But I feel like if you've ever heard of only one Western book, it's True Grit. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the book or movie movies. Um, I love the book. I love both of the movies. I have a like slight preference for the Coen Brothers version. Um. I think it's superior in part because I think they get the girl better. Yeah. Um, what that I can't remember what that actress's name is. She was not Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. She's astonishing. Yes. Um, and it, the, the, her performance, I think, is much truer to the book um, than the one in the um, 
I think it's Kim Darby in the uh, in the 1968 version. Hmm. Um, but uh, I, I'd say the performances of the other principals are 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 pretty close. I mean, you know, uh, John Wayne versus Jeff Bridges. That's a, that's a hard one. Yeah, that's a good problem um, to have. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen Bone Tomahawk by Oh my Spencer? god. Yes. That's my favorite western, man. Oh and my god. You talked um, about Lovecraft and westerns and I've listened to a few interviews with him specifically talking about Bone Tomahawk and and why he left that tribe ominous, why he says very little. Right. I mean, uh, so I'm just having. Well, I mean, it's got that whole weird middle section where they're just walking across the desert and like having like interpersonal conflicts, and then suddenly they get to the cave and you know people are getting split in half. That shit was crazy. Well, before that, you got these two um, Mexicans that right could be bandits. They could be helpful like that. Bone Tomahawk though, where they show the women too at the end. Their own women, how they have all their limbs cut off and their oh my God, eyes are sewn shut. It's, like... it's so fucked up, man. It, it's he left that ominous though um, on purpose, and I think that it, it serves best like that. It's like Cenobites in the first uh, Hellraiser when there's very little information about it. It just you, you see enough. You see them cut up a guy hung upside down where like. I don't know how to describe it without saying it's so fucked up. That's I'm a yeah. I'm not fit to be a film critic at all, but it's it's a movie if you haven't seen it, hardcore stuff, but you should watch it. So what's your what what would what's your favorite horror movie of twenty twenty two? I have not seen many. I know I get to see no the reason why is because I have a young family, a full time right. job, and I'm trying to do as much networking in the podcasting and have my own now editing on top of a writing career. So that that's when I have time to watch movies. It's usually with my wife and she's not a horror fan. Well, I think she is. She watches true crime with me. So I feel like that's part, you know, right. a sub, that's a subgenre. That's a gateway. <laughs> Let me give, give me a moment to think about that. Um, I haven't seen much this year, but uh, one I did enjoy was X, and I haven't seen oh, yeah. Pearl yet, but I did like X. Pearl is Pearl is more comic, but it's it's a lot of fun, um, and she's great in it. Mia Goth, mm. she's like, oh my, she's so weird. I saw. Uh, <laughs> there's two that I saw that I really. Enjoy. Oh wait, no, there's third one that I saw. I don't know if it's considered horror, but um, that. Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's uh, "Something in the Dirt." It's not really horror. It's kind of weird as hell, but uh, it's it's an excellent movie. Um, Phil Turpitt, uh, Mad God, is that it? Is that how you say his name? No, Phil Tippett. That's it. Mad God. It, it's like claymation. Oh, that's twenty twenty one. Oh right, yeah, that's on Shutter, I think. Yeah. I was gonna say the sadness too, but that's twenty twenty one too. That movie was fucking crazy. Have you that seen was, sadness? I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There. I, um. Yeah, I mean, nobody. I I would say people need to remember that David Cronenberg had a movie out this year. Nobody oh my god! Crimes of the Future. I haven't seen right. that. Damn it! Right. I mean, it was like where? What happened? 
I mean, he's only got another maybe two movies left in him. If that. Yeah. Come on, people. Yeah, I got to get on that. I don't know why I haven't seen that yet. Um, yeah, I, man, I want to watch Nope, though. That That's like the next 2022 movie I saw. <laughs> Yeah, that's a fun, that's a it's it, it's it's really fun. Um, I liked it maybe better than us, um, but it's I mean it's still got some of the same problems as us, which is you know like it tends to be like more about individual scenes than about coming together as a whole. Mm. Um, but that I mean that's fine with me too. I mean I think he does these in like these, these moments so well that it, it almost doesn't matter if it, if it kind of all ties together. Yeah, that's fair. Um, do you want to, Oh, you know what I actually, cause I was looking at 2022 horror movies. There's a new Jeepers Creepers and. Oh my God. Yeah. I liked the first two until I found out about, um, I, we don't have to say his name. I forget the guy that ran it, but the one that's oh the the, the pedophile dude. Yeah, I don't understand why anyone would <laughs> with another one it's so fucked up. Man. Well, it's supposed to be really bad. I mean, really bad. Um, ratings on IMDb out of seven thousand seven hundred thirty-three votes, it has two and a half out of ten stars. Right. Yeah. That that tracks. Um. Man, there's so many good movies. Yeah, I, I really love Shudder. They got a lot yeah, of it's so nice. It, it's so nice to have access to all that stuff. Um, that's a that's a really. I mean, and I, um, I've enjoyed like um, a lot of the like documentary stuff that they've had. Um, you know, you guys had Tanana Reeve on your show just recently, and oh, she did a lot of stuff with Shudder. Um, she she did that great, yeah, like, documentary. Um, that was amazing. Yeah. Hey, you know, like this is a coincidence, uh, but uh, Tanana Reeve and I went to college together. We were. Um, <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. How do you have any stories about that? No, we weren't. She was one year younger than me. We weren't in the same. We weren't in the same workshop. Okay, uh, but, we, but we did know each other, so that's really uh, cool, man. Yeah. Is there any other books that you're currently re- currently reading that uh, you want to talk about? Uh, let's see. Um, well, one of my favorite books of the year that I I think um maybe could have gotten more attention um was the John Darnielle book Devil House. Um, okay. Which um which is really about sort of like exploring the true crime genre and kind of taking it apart. Um, So it's got elements of horror. It's got elements of true crime, but it's also sort of like just really um, kind of thinking deeply about what we're doing when we're consuming that and, and, and what, what are, what emotionally and morally are our responsibility as consumers of that stuff is that's interesting. Uh, and it's got this it's got like two or three just amazing sequences um one where this um well i can't i, I can't tell i can't tell you what they are because it'll, it'll spoil too much um but 
needless to say, it's highly recommended Devil House by John Darnielle, um, who's also the lead singer of the Mountain Goats, which doesn't seem fair that he gets to do two things. But <laughs> Brandon, what are you currently reading? Um, much like Dan is immersing himself in late 1800s, early 1900s fiction. Uh, I'm doing a lot of vampire reading for reasons. Um, I, I'm reading The Lesser Dead by Christopher Buhlman right now. Nice. Um, it's really cool. It's got, um, it's, it's, I almost, I guess I would almost describe it as it's more focused on individual scenes, almost like you just mentioned with Jordan Peele's movies than an overall narrative at the moment, but it's got a lot of energy to it. It's got a lot of, it, it doesn't drag, got very short, fast, brutal chapters. Uh, and it, it's cool. It's, um, I, I was looking for, call it non-traditional vampire reads. Right. Uh, something like uh, Dan Simmons' Carry On Comfort. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. And this got put out. And I, I mean, it's got relatively traditional vampires in that we're getting away from the, you know, like uh, Lestat, the like, you know, dignified vampire. Right. Yeah. And we're down to like the kind of like brutal living in the sewers vampires. Um, I'm also reading, I don't know where it went, but uh, The Border by Don Winslow. Oh, awesome. uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the third book in his Power of the Dog trilogy, and I am, you know, even X number of pages into this trilogy, I just cannot believe his ability to write a page turner. Um, it's one of those such things. A good writer, man, he's really good. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you know, not necessarily him, but the type of you know thriller writer. You know, they definitely get looked down upon for, yeah. you know, writing that commercially successful fish fiction, but it takes talent to write a book that you cannot put down. Like you get to the end of a 50 page chapter and you're like, well, I got to keep going. I mean, I, I, right. it doesn't, I don't, I don't care that it's, you know, 1245 at night. Uh, I got to read one more because, uh, and, and his ability to keep all the characters straight in this trilogy is beyond belief. I don't know how the hell he does it. Right. <laughs> But yeah, it's, and it's, it's just so, like the first I mean, it's, it, it feels really, I mean, like, like it, important in a way, you know, like, I mean, I yeah. feel like you really look like he's really insightful. I mean, and you're looking at stuff that um, I think is, is actually, actually like of importance in the world um, as opposed to like, um, I don't know, like Irish 20 somethings having weird sex. We said no sex stuff. Right. Yeah. Sorry. You said no sex stuff. <laughs> no, I think you're right though. It's it's because it's 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 got an authenticity to it where you read it, you know, as a as a privileged, you know, white 30 something. I'm reading it and be like, this shit's going on. This shit's right. happening right. in the world. And it's horrible. Um, you know, kids murdering kids and like the it's it's there's such bad stuff in there. Um, I know, but again, um, it's written with it's, that. I mean, it's really vivid. He knows. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He says like such control over his material. It's really, it, it's really impressive. Yeah, um, no, he's a great writer. 
Patrick, what are you currently reading? I was waiting for that. Yeah, nice. so <laughs> I'm finishing up one uh, called Curse of the Reaper by Brian McCauley. This is, you know, when you think you can read enough slasher flicks, uh, books, the cover made me think of a, you know, an old VHS slasher movie. Uh, you read something like this and then you're like, okay, that's pretty fucking good. So basically it's about this uh, actor that, and for some reason I had Doug Bradley and Tony Todd in my head. Um, those are my favorite of that subgenre. Like I love Candyman and Hellraiser. They're just really, I mean, I don't know if they're a slasher, but of the boogeyman, they're my favorite because those are the most terrifying to me. But uh, it's about this actor who used to play the Reaper. And there's about, I think, eight movies in the series, and they're re- they're doing a remake, and he's not up for the role. There's this new guy, his kid, that used to be in this, like, family show when he was growing up as a kid. He played this role, so he's like a child star, and they, they want to put him in this role that people won't expect, but he's got a drug problem. And basically, those two worlds collide. And the issue is, is that the old-timer hears the Reaper, and he comes out through him um as if he's the puppeteer and and the, the older actor is the puppet so it gets wild it gets crazy but it doesn't surprise me that brian knowing his background as a screenwriter like he uh he was on the show as a screenwriter for uh fuller house the remake of full house um it doesn't surprise me that he can do this very well but right he, it, it it flows just the symmetry is amazing um, I'll leave it there. I think it's absolutely it's it's going to be on my top ten for 2022 releases. Um, there's two others that I haven't started reading yet, but I'm very excited for to 2023 releases. Eric LaRocca, he has a debut coming out next year called Everything: The Darkness Seats through Clash Books. Um, don't really know what it's about. Doesn't matter. He everything I've read read by him is. Uh, bonkers insane yet super compelling and then uh victor laval uh lone women yeah he's <laughs> he's really special man like i can't really he's put into really words special. um i just can't put into words who not that everyone deserve, like should be compared to others but i i don't know who i'd compare him to if i was he's, playing he's, he's his own thing yeah he's generous um yeah. I love Big Machine so much. That was such a big book for me. But I also love the, like, um, Devil and Silver really made a big impression on me. And that's not that's one that not many people talk about. I really love that one. Um, and I guess, you know, now he's doing all this stuff with, I mean, he the Changeling is going to be a, a movie or TV show. And he's got a lot of stuff going, going on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, since I'm not going into details at all, because nothing is official, but uh, some of you know, I got one anthology coming out. Probably, it's definitely going to be next year. Not probably. It's going to come out next year. Hot Iron and Cold Blood, an anthology of the Weird West. So I have to be a student practice what I preach. Uh, I got one that is essential if you want to read anthologies called Dark Forces. It's when Stephen King's The Mist first was published. Um it's got Ray Bradbury, Edward Gorey, Robert Block. It's just, uh, it's it's thick. It's fuck. It's a wow. thick book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's one of the anthologies I'm I'm 
going to be reading soon. Uh, Dan, where can people follow you? Um, well, as long as Twitter is still around, they can follow me <laughs> on Twitter um, until, it, until it collapses. And I'm at Dan Sean. Um, I'm also on Post, um, which What's is that? like a it's some sort of social media thing, but I don't know whether it's going to last. Um, and um, you can find me on Tumblr. If you can believe <laughs> I'm can't. always on Tumblr <laughs> posting pictures of stuff. So um do you think Elon Musk is eventually gonna fuck up Twitter? Because I I feel like he is. I think and... he has. I think he has pretty much a little bit, but you know, I don't know I don't know where things go, whether it's complete collapse, whether it's like everybody flees, whether it's you know, it just kind of continues on and things write it write themselves. I have no idea how it's gonna how it's gonna all play out. How do you take like currently the most successful social media platform and just say, I'm gonna switch shit up? Like, why don't you just leave it alone? It's already super successful on well, its own. I mean, you know, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. I am not going to Mars with that guy. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll stay on Earth too. I think I'll just yeah. Um, he, he, and he, oh, man. he, I don't even, I can't say what's wrong. That's all right. He, he can go to Mars if he wants. He's a fucking alien already. Like, I yeah. just, it makes me wonder, like, I used to view him as someone that was as smart as like Tesla or all of them. Maybe I'm not even that regard, but now he, 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 the way he tweets, it's like, this is my opinion. I'm not speaking for Brennan. I feel like he's coming off like Trump in the sense where he just always has to incessantly come off like he's that very insecure kid that needs people right. to be like love me we don't right you're well dead. and he really really wants to be funny and he just is not yeah and you can't buy that pat oswald talked about that in an interview recently it's hilarious he's like you can't you, you can't take that from us like you don't get it like you tried to you tried to censor people making fun of you and and you replied in the worst way Right, the way that people would further make fun of you for it, right? Sad as Trump yeah. Say. Uh, if you want to follow the show, you can go check us out on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and TikTok. It's all under Dead Headspace. Um, if you want to follow Brennan, follow him at B R E N N A N L A F A R O. And uh, Dan, do you have any final thoughts? On I anything, I wish I had some final <laughs> thoughts, but um, I'll just uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just say thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it was a no brainer there. Um, my final thoughts are that it, it was really exciting talking to you. I hope this isn't the last time. Um, I would just you know we, I think about when we had Joe, Lansdale, Keith, and Casey, and David Morell on a couple months ago. And the way that Joe and David would tell stories, I would like to see that with you. And I don't even know who I'd insert. I say Tanana Reeve because of you mentioning her. But really, if there's, if there's, oh, I would love to talk to Tanana Reeve. I just, yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to hear. I, I like that. I like hearing. There's a lot of focus on the newer writers, which is great. I'm all for that. I'm a newer writer, so I love that. My, a lot of my friends are newer writers. That's amazing. But 
I don't see enough emphasis on um, writers that are still alive, the older writers or writers of old that aren't Mary Shelley or Bram Stoker. <laughs> right, you know? right. So we try to focus on everyone, but like we have a big emphasis on like remember who paved the way before you. And you're certainly someone um, that falls under that category. And I would like to I'd like to hear your stories with other writers of your generation, because um, that's what the show's about, man. We want All to right. learn. But yeah, so throwing that out there um, for next year. Uh, Brennan, I'm talking a whole lot. Why don't you jump in? <laughs> Final thoughts. Uh, Dan, uh, obviously, thank you for your time. Appreciate you spending this uh, Monday night. It is Monday, right? Oh, it man, is. there's so much right now. There's so much week left. <laughs> um, we appreciate you spending Monday night with us. Um, and, you know, people should check out Sleepwalk. People should check out Ill Will. These are two really, really phenomenal rides um, for two very different reasons. Um, and we do hope you will uh, join us again at some point. I would love to. I would love to. Well, we got to bring Michael J. Uh, Sidlinger on. That was my bad for that not happening. It's based on it. I talked to him earlier today, and he's like, that's based on it, too. I'm like, ah, shit. It's, that's on me, though. I'm the producer. I'll say that on air. Um, so we wanted to have him on with you. We'll do that next time, hopefully. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, everyone, next episode 179, that'll be with Brian McCauley. He is the writer of the book I mentioned earlier, Curse of the Reaper. He is a terrific guy. Can't wait to talk to him. As always, the main choice of the podcast. Thank you for picking up. Oh,